Pastor Ed Taylor says, look around and you can't help but see the coming of the Lord is right around the corner. You can look up to the sky and you can see, oh man, that doesn't look good. You don't have to be a meteorologist. You don't have to go to school to see that a storm is coming. Well, let me tell you something. You don't have to go to seminary to know that Jesus Christ, his return is closer than it was even yesterday. And, and the things that are happening in our world, the times and the seasons are literally hastening in the sense, not causing him to come quicker, but showing that the coming of the Lord is quicker and it's going to happen. And we as a church need to be a ready church, a prepared bride for the coming of our Savior. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you're a little confused about what the rapture is and when it will occur, keep listening as today's lesson deals with this very subject. In 2 Kings 2, Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. And as you'll soon see, it's strikingly similar to what believers will experience at the rapture. I readily admit, although I'm firmly convinced in the scriptures, I may still be wrong but I love Jesus Christ. And the view that I have come to biblically has not simply been handed down to me by someone else. I've studied this for myself. I've done great deep study on this topic. And it just hasn't been handed down to me and I'm just kind of carrying someone else's mantle. It, it, this, is, this is what I believe the Bible teaches. And the view that I've come down to has given me an urgency about the coming of the Lord. The view that I've come to has given me a sense of the imminence of the return of Jesus Christ. And, and if you think about that, the view that you have, I pray, would have an imminence of the return of Jesus Christ, that he could come at any time, that nothing is withholding his return, that he is gathering together the saints whom he bought with his own blood, that, that he is preserving those that he saved from the wrath to come, the wrath. Imagine the wrath. That doesn't mean the church isn't going to go through trials and tribulations, because that would be to discount what Jesus said. You're going to go through trials and tribulations. Little t, of course. Heavy stuff. But the wrath of God, the Bible says, was poured out upon Jesus Christ. And now where are you and I? Hidden in Christ. That's where we are. It's what the Bible declares. And so I don't, it's just become such great controversy that has wasted a lot of time and energy in the church. And yet, because it's a controversy, people will ignore it. People will avoid prophecy. They'll replace it even with theologies that minimize the heart of God. But Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming day of God? We need to know the times and seasons around us. Just like the storm clouds floating in 
uh, end that point to the storm is coming or what we feel here, you know, when you start to get headaches and you feel the pressure and the weather changes, you just know a storm is coming, man. It's just like, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want the storm to come in. But you can tell, you can see the changes. I love that part of living here, in the, at least in the sense where you can, you can look up to the sky and you can see, oh man, that doesn't look good. You don't have to be a meteorologist. You don't have to go to school to see that a storm is coming. Well, let me tell you something. You don't have to go to seminary to know that Jesus Christ, his return is closer than it was even yesterday. And, and the things that are happening in our world, the times and the seasons are literally hastening in the sense, not causing him to come quicker, but showing that the coming of the Lord is quicker and it's going to happen. And we as a church need to be a ready church, a prepared bride for the coming of our Savior. Jesus told the, the Pharisees, he said this, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth but how is it that you can't discern this time? Luke chapter 12, verse 56. And unlike the Pharisees of old, we do understand the times that we live in. We see them and understand them. Over 300 times the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming again. And as the world gets darker and more disturbing, it sets a glorious stage up for the wonderful event that we know as the rapture of the church. The trumpet sounding, the voice of the archangel is heard, but when will it happen? And that's where the debate and the deliberation is. When will it happen? Will it happen before the Great Tribulation period? Will it happen midway? Will it happen after? Uh, The views are pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, no-trib. And we wonder, what? What's a tribulation and what's happening here? And we've studied through Revelation in depth and you can see it. There is a seriousness of how the world will end and... Here's what happens. Just like the prophets, oh, you know what? Elijah went up, but he's not really up. He didn't go up permanently. God just moved him. That's it. Just God just moved him. And, and I can already anticipate some of the things that will be on the front page news after the rapture, after believers. Are, you know, the rapture is going to be a cataclysmic event. It's not going to be a quiet, you know, because sometimes in, in movies it's kind of depicted as all of a sudden, you know, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know. But the movies, they have, they have you just all the clothes and the shoes are right there, right? And it's like, whoa, and it's just kind of a cool thing and everybody, it's going to be cataclysmic. The, the world's going to be beginning, it's going to be an upheaval. It's going to be a, 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 an absolute surprise to those that are here. And and what's going to happen is, is that I can already see, you know, the headline, New York Times, aliens have come and stolen. Because we, you know, we're going to Mars and I know there's somebody and aliens have come and, and all the things that might be. I just want you to know that however it's going to go down, Jesus Christ is returning for his church. And it's my responsibility to prepare you, remind you, and point you to the coming of the Lord. Now, some would look at the word and say, well, you know, you believe in the rapture, but the, it's not even, that word's not even used in any English translation. And because it's not used, then it's just something that was invented by man. Well, let me just say that if you search through your scriptures and you look for the word Bible, uh, the word Bible is not anywhere in any English translations either. It's a word that we use to describe a book. And whether it is a word that's used in the scriptures is not as relevant as what the word means. But you know, the word rapture is found in the holy writings. It just depends on what version you're using. Because if you happen to have pulled out a Latin version of the Bible, 
The word rapturus or raptus, depending on what version it is, is absolutely used. Jot it down, or actually jot it down, but also look at it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. This is just a minor overview tonight. You can go back into the website on calvaryaurora.org and just put the word rapture in the search engine and you'll pull up the studies that we've done more in depth on this topic. But for the sake of our time, um, as you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, then we who are alive and remain shall be, and circle that word, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we, we shall always be with the Lord. Now, that word phrase, caught up, is actually the Greek word harpazo, and in the Latin version, it's like we get many of our words from Latin, as we get many of our English words from the Greek, and rapture is just another phrase of being caught up, which is what's happening to Elijah, what happened to Enoch, John's caught up in his vision in the book of Revelation, and the church is predicted here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, as being caught up together with the Lord in the air. I don't want you to get confused over the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're two different events. In the rapture, Jesus Christ comes for his church. He doesn't come all the way to the earth, but like Thessalonians says, we meet him in the air. In the second coming, Jesus comes with his church, and he comes and he lands right there on the Mount of Olives, splits it in two. I believe the second coming of Jesus will be seven years after the rapture. I know there are a lot of different views, but I'm firmly convinced that Jesus will remove his church from the earth before the great tribulation period. You know, one of the reasons that surveys are showing today that the coming of the Lord is not so important and that Israel plays a very low value and priority in these younger evangelicals or however they want to categorize them. It doesn't really matter to me. Those that assess themselves as Christians and they minimize the coming of Jesus and they minimize Israel is, is, is one of my theories is not just a lack of Bible study, not just a lack of understanding the scriptures, but it is the overwhelming sense of this narcissistic culture. Because when all you do is think about yourself, talk to yourself, talk about yourself, when all you do is live within the bubble of self and other people that live in their bubbles of self, the coming of the Lord would be a great interruption to your narcissistic life. It would come as a great sudden tragedy to a life that's lived for self instead of a life that's lived selflessly. Which I think in every generation you would be able to pin this, but you understand in our generation and the generation before and after, and as it just seems to get progressively worse, you, you can see why Jesus made following him. The very first decision is to what? Deny self. Deny self. And I wonder if the argumentation over this and all of the time spent trying to convince other believers otherwise isn't also a symptom of the same thing a symptom of feeding self, knowledge, puffing up, pride, love edifying, pointing people to the Lord, pointing people to his soon return, pointing them to the reality, the reality of his coming. 
19 times in Revelation, uh, the word church is used in, up until the end of chapter 3, just referring to the church. But it won't be mentioned again in the book of Revelation until after chapter 19 because I believe it's another picture and a type of the church being up in the heavenlies at that time. And after these things, the church age, now John is back in heaven and he's got this mini rapture and, and he's got this sense of being instantly in the presence of God, just like Enoch, just like Elijah, and prophesied in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of believers. And I recognize the other views that may be out there, and I would just say this. Please, 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 whatever view you have, live your life as an evangelist for the gospel of Jesus Christ, keeping your eyes on him. And just go for it. And then we'll all figure, we'll all find out. When we're all together in the presence of the Lord, we'll find out what it was. And then only then will the Bema seat separate us by what our life was in what was done for the kingdom and for others. And may the Lord protect us and help us as we live our lives for him. So come back now to Kings as we close up in the chapter. Just looking at Elijah being caught up so suddenly, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe it. And there are those today that simply don't, do not believe in the rapture of the church. They don't believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And, and that type of thinking leads to all sorts of other things that we want to stay away from and keep our eyes on the imminent urgent return. We don't want to be, remember, as Jesus gave the parable of the ten virgins, five were wise, five were unwise. What made the five wise? They were ready and watching at any moment. What made the five unwise? They were not ready, nor were they watching. And we want to be ready and watching. Now, verse 19, pick up where we were. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, Bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And then he went out to the source of the water and cast the salt in there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the saying of Elisha, which he spoke. So the area, they say, it was very beautiful where they were, but the water was sickening and deadly. And it was affecting the women and the trees. And Elisha heals the water by prophesying and adding salt. And God is affirming his call on this young man. But it also gives us a picture of an illustration that Jesus will give later by declaring the church to be the salt of the earth. The healing, preserving influence on the earth today is you and me and our faith and relationship with Jesus Christ. Who else on the earth today is speaking out from the un, for the unborn in the womb? Primarily, it's believers. Why? Because God teaches us the value of a baby at conception. So who speaks up? But, but to silence the church on topics like this, what happens to our saltiness? Or a better question is, how is your saltiness lately? And I'm not speaking about, you know, when you put too much salt on something. You know, when I was, when I was a kid, I was one of those guys that when we went to a restaurant, I would take the cap off the salt. And occasionally, if I could peek uh, on the way out, Watching someone pour that on, it would give me great joy to see so much salt ruin their food. And I was a rotten kid. I, I can give you illustrations of old. But, but sometimes believers are like that. You just pour the whole thing on them. 
And then they get all mad, you know, because you've offended them. You haven't let the gospel offended them because you offended them before, long before you had an audience with the gospel. And, and so salt, you have just the right amount in order to make a difference, in order to bring preservation, in order to bring flavor. And, and you think of the church and how the church, the, the, the attempt of the church to be silenced. Now, let me just say this. It's not something we're going to develop, but it doesn't matter what government, what, what a government decision is. It doesn't matter what laws are passed. It, it doesn't matter if you and I lose everything that we own. A believer cannot be silenced until they choose to be silenced. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the laws are. Remember they brought the disciples, they brought Peter before the laws and said, don't you ever say anything about this. They go, oh, I'm so scared. We'll never say anything about Jesus again. We want our comfortable life and we don't want any more problems. Was that their response? No. And it wasn't that, you know, go, let's go get some picket signs and, and let's change the laws as good as that might be. That wasn't their response. I mean, we get back to the early church. Their response was, look, you do whatever you want to do with me. It's your choice. Power's been given to you by God. You do whatever you want. But then you decide whether it's wise for us, and I'm paraphrasing, you decide whether it's wise for us because we're going to obey God and not man. The only way the church will be silenced is if the church decides to be silenced. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what laws they change. Well, you know, we'll tax them. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll take away their building. Really? We'll throw you in jail. Wow. Like what? what? What is it that the only thing that will silence you is you? And so you can see how it goes together. The urgency of the Lord, we got to get busy. It, it, and, you know, we live in a country where we can participate in politics, and we should. That, that, don't, don't misunderstand me. We should participate in every level. Um, but know, know this. While the laws are favorable for the church, to whom much is given, much is required. The laws aren't favorable so we can stay comfortable. The laws are favorable so we can be more aggressive. But we know from church history, whenever the church gets soft tribulation comes. Why? Stir them up. That's what happened in Jerusalem. The early church got comfortable. Didn't Jesus say, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Jerusalem and Jerusalem and then all of Jerusalem? Is not, is that, no, that's not what he said. He told them very specifically what the call of God, what their calling in evangelism was. You're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. Well, when is it that they decided to go to Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the earth? When persecution came. Otherwise, they were pretty comfortable in Jerusalem. And it was even then that most of the religious leaders stayed in Jerusalem while most of the church was scattered. And the gospel is here with us today uh, in Colorado because of the apostles, uh, or the disciples, the apostles, the believers of the first century responding to persecution by going out with the gospel. You can't silence the church. I think it was said by, I forget who said it, but the, uh, when they started killing believers as believers are dying for their faith all around the world today, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You can't kill the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You kill one, ten will rise up. You kill ten, one will take their place. You can't kill the church. It's still with us. It's going to outlast us until the coming of the Lord. We have our place and we have our role and we want to be faithful with what God's given to us. But man, don't be silenced. Be the salt of the earth. And so here, healing is brought by prophecy and this salt. God miraculously heals the waters. Verse 23, he went up from there to Bethel, 
And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said, go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. That's not very nice, let me just say. That's not nice. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. And then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So a nice little nighttime uh, story for your kids. This is don't mess with Elisha. I mean, it's funny and it's sad at the same time, but we have to let the Bible say what it says. We have to let the Bible say what it says, even if we don't have a nice, clean explanation of why God would allow this. There are these gang members, basically, coming along, mocking Elisha, calling attention to his lack of hair. But what they were doing was ridiculing and insulting the prophet of God. That's what they were doing. Of their own nation, their own appointed prophet. And Elisha confronts them, pronounce a curse, and these bears come out. And throughout the Bible, you can jot this down if you want to study it for yourself, but we often see God send a special judgment at the period, a new period of Bible history. And it's, if God, it's as if God's warning his people that a new thing's happening. So Nadab and Abihu were judged for strange fire in Leviticus chapter 10. Achan was judged in Joshua 7 for stealing and lying. Uzzah, remember, touched the ark in 2 Samuel 6. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira were wiped out for lying and stealing in Acts chapter 5. And now at the beginning of Elisha's ministry, these youths are losing their lives for their sin of cursing and mocking God's prophet. And unfortunately, the attitude of the youths end up spreading throughout the land of Samaria and Judah, and they end up falling over this, as you can read in Second Chronicles chapter 36. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of God arose against his people, and there was no remedy. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in 2 Kings. Well, Pastor Ed, for those that would like to go deeper into this subject on the rapture of the church, is there a resource or two that comes to mind? Yes, Larry. The study of the rapture of the church is a fascinating study. It's a, it's a great time to dig into the Word, and one of my favorite resources on the rapture is actually a website. It's raptureready.com raptureready.com. That's rapture, R-A-P-T-U-R-E-R-E-A-D-Y.com. And it has great information up to date, not only doctrinally and theologically, but current events and things that will help you understand the times in which we live, the urgency of getting the gospel out and loving people into the kingdom, meeting urgent needs, uh, making a social difference, a social impact with the gospel to, to love the, the widow and to love the orphan and to make ourselves available in the name of Jesus Christ to bring hope and healing to a lost and dying world. And if someone is listening right now and wants to email me, I have a few things, a few links that I can send you to both studies that I've done and some resources I've collected, and I have those links ready. Just email me. You can email me directly, pastored at calvaryaurora.org. Pastor Ed, that's P-A-S-T-O-R-E-D, at calvaryaurora.org. 
And I've got these links ready. All you need to do is email me, mention that you heard it on Abounding Grace, and I will respond personally with these links to encourage you as you study the things of the last days. It's an amazing study. And may the Lord bless you and encourage you as you wait for the soon return of the Lord. Again, the first website Pastor Ed mentioned is raptureready.com. And if you'd like to email him for the other resources, his address is pastored at calvaryaurora.org. See if this sounds familiar. You make a New Year's resolution to break a bad habit once and for all. And maybe you experience some short-term success, but then that undesirable behavior rears its ugly head again. Is it really possible to break the cycle of addictive behavior? And if so, how? Erwin Lutzer points the way in his insightful book, How to Break a Stubborn Habit. You'll discover it is possible to break a stubborn habit with God's help. Get a copy of this helpful book as we begin 2019 when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. As you do, you'll be helping us continue delivering God's Word on this station in the year ahead. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Or go online to calvaryaurora.org. We'll pick up where we left off in 2 Kings tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.